Welcome and good morning to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. And we have been looking at several different battles over the past few weeks on the Civil War. And in our last show, we had talked about Antietam, which was the most bloodiest single day in American history, where General Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia took on General George McClellan's Army of the Potomac at Sharpsburg. And we looked at that battle and we saw where General McClellan was given a second chance to command the Army of the Potomac. General McClellan had a copy of Robert E. Lee's battle plans. And unfortunately for the Union, George McClellan has a draw there, and he allows Robert E. Lee's army to escape and leave. And after the Battle of Antietam, the important part politically is that President Lincoln gives forth the Emancipation Proclamation, and Antietam was September 17th, 1762. President Lincoln gives the Emancipation Proclamation that is to take effect on January 1st, 1863. But President Lincoln believed that Antietam was a victory, the first actual large victory for a Union army. And we historians debate whether that actually was a victory for any Union army, which I don't believe it was. But nevertheless, President Lincoln looked at it as a victory. So he gives forth the Emancipation Proclamation. Also, after the battle, President Lincoln now has had enough of General George McClellan. So George McClellan is relieved of command of any army, and he was totally relieved of command. And so we see the end of George McClellan's military career after Antietam. And George McClellan then goes on to have somewhat of a political career as he runs for the presidency against Abraham Lincoln in 1864. He loses the election of 1864. Then George McClellan goes on to be politically the governor of New Jersey after the Civil War. Then, as I said, after Antietam, President Lincoln relieves General George McClellan of command. Now for the third time, he asks General Ambrose Burnside to be the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac. And General Burnside becomes the reluctant commander of the Army of the Potomac. Twice before, General Burnside has turned down the offer to be the commanding general. And this now the third time, which I guess was the third time was the charm for Ambrose Burnside. Unfortunately, when General Burnside becomes the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac, it spells major disaster for the Army of the Potomac. General Ambrose Burnside is considered one of the three worst generals in American history. George McClellan, Ambrose Burnside, and Horatio Gates from the Revolutionary War. Uh, Burnside just was not a competent commanding general. And he actually was not a very, he wasn't a competent command or a combat general at all. So 
we look at General Ambrose Burnside's with great remorse because of bad leadership causes a tremendous amount of men, officers, soldiers, soldiers to die. And so that's what we see with Ambrose Burnside's. Um, he has a military background. He is a West Point graduate. He served as a military officer and a railroad executive. And then after the war, Ambrose Burnside becomes a politician. And we first see Burnside in the Battle of Bull Run, which is July of 1861. He then served during the Maryland campaign in North Carolina and fairly uh, had somewhat of a success there. And then he rejoins the Army of the Potomac, at where we see him at Antietam. And then he is elevated to be the commanding officer in the next major battle, which was Fredericksburg. And then we see later on, uh, Burnside has different offices, political or militarily. And then ultimately, he's brought back to the Army of the Potomac. And he is at Petersburg with Ulysses S. Grant. And unfortunately, the major disaster, if any of you know about the Battle of the Crater, that is all Ambrose Burnside. So he has a very tainted military career. And that is what most people know of Ambrose Burnside. Uh, his background is he was born in Liberty, Indiana. Uh, he graduated 18th out of 38 from his class at West Point, which was 1847. Uh, and he went on to see action in the Mexican War. He was actually wounded out in 1849 out in the West fighting Apache Indians. He was uh, wounded in the neck when he was shot with an arrow. Uh, in 1852, he was stationed at Newport, Rhode Island, and that's where he met his future wife, Mary Richmond Bishop. And they had they were married soon after that. Burnside actually went on. He designed a breech, breech loading carbine, and it was called the Burnside carbine. And unfortunately, it was a failed business venture. He sold the patent, and then the, that gun would later be widespread use by the particularly the Union cavalry during the Civil War, and then. After the Civil War, in the Native American Wars in the West, so Burnside has a long military career, political career, but we remember him mostly for the major disasters that that he had when he was the commanding officer in the next major battle after Antietam. So when McClellan is relieved of command, President Lincoln then offers Ambrose Burnside to be the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac. And finally, Burnside, and reluctantly, he accepts to be the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac, which is now the late, late September, early October. And what Burnside decides to do, what, and he announced publicly that he was going to march to Richmond, take the Confederate capital, defeat Robert E. Lee's army, and the war would be over. So this is Burnside's bold prediction, his bold idea, and his bold thinking of what he was going to do after the major problems at Antietam with McClellan. So Ambrose Burnside's 
begins to have a winter campaign, which ultimately we all know as the Battle of Fredericksburg. So Burnside then comes down, marches this large army down through, out of Washington, down into Virginia, and he is going to take Fredericksburg to push the Confederate, the army, away from Fredericksburg, and he is going to control the Rappahannock River. The Rappahannock River flows to the right to the east of Fredericksburg. So Burnside knows Richmond. He knows Fredericksburg. He knows the Rappahannock River. The Rappahannock River is a fairly wide river. And he knows that, that Fredericksburg is on the western slope of the Rappahannock River. So Burnside begins this long trek down through Virginia. He's going to cross over Fredericksburg. He's going to control the Rappahannock River, and he is going to take Fredericksburg and then move on to Richmond because Burnside said that he would take the capital, Richmond, by Christmas. So in November, now we're looking at November, when McClellan is finally relieved of command, President Lincoln puts Ambrose Burnside, General Burnside, as the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac, which is approximately 110,000 soldiers large. Burnside is now going to have a winter campaign against Richmond through the town of Fredericksburg and then through over the Rappahannock River and then on to Richmond. As I said, Burnside knows the territory. He knows the geography. He knows Fredericksburg. He knows that the Rappahannock is a fairly large river protecting Fredericksburg. So when the Army of the Potomac advances down, all the way down to the eastern side of the Rappahannock River, and you look across the river and you see Fredericksburg, three bridges that were across the river. Outside of Fredericksburg, the Confederate Army there is the Army of Northern Virginia under the command of General Robert E. Lee. And Lee has Stonewall Jackson with him. He has John Longstreet with him, some of his major generals. And so Lee is on the outside, outskirts of Fredericksburg, when General Ambrose Burnside gets the Army of the Potomac to the eastern side. Obviously, what is any army going to do to stop an army from crossing the river? You destroy the bridges. You destroy the bridges that are across the Rappahannock River in the Fredericksburg, which General Robert E. Lee had those bridges destroyed. Any competent general, knowing that you have to cross a river and the, and the opposing army is on the other side of the river, you would common sense think that you would bring the pontoon bridges with you. And a pontoon bridge, is, it looks like boats that you put side to side, you put planks aboard on top of them, so you have this floating bridge going across the river. Ambrose Burnside knows that he's got to cross the Rappahannock, and he should know that Lee is going to destroy those bridges. And yet Burnside does not bring the pontoon bridges with him. Burnside then sends word back to Washington that he needs the pontoon bridges 
and their own pieces so you bring them. It takes a week for the pontoon bridges to get there. You would immediately think, or I would immediately think, I have to attack Robert E. Lee as quickly as possible, put that bridge, that pontoon bridge across the Rappahannock River. Burnside has already waited a week. He's gotten the pontoon bridges, but he waits two more weeks before he begins to advance across the Rappahannock River into Fredericksburg, then outside of Fredericksburg, up to a place called Marie's Heights, which it slopes away away from Fredericksburg, up this sloping, long, sloping hill. So all the time that General Burnside waits and delays, General Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia is entrenching up on Marie's Heights. So Ambrose Burnside, once he finally gets into Fredericksburg, he sends three scouts out to look what's on the outside of Fredericksburg, and they see these sloping, wide open farm fields, long sloping farm fields up about maybe a quarter of a mile close, sloping up about 75 feet. And they see that General Lee's army is entrenched behind a stone wall up on Marie's Heights. Three scouts come back to General Burnside. They give him their report. And they also said to General Burnside that on the outside of Fredericksburg, there is a canal, an overflow canal that the townspeople of Fredericksburg had built to stop the Rappahannock from flooding Fredericksburg. So there was a canal about 15, 20 feet wide, about 10 feet deep. That's an overflow when the Rappahannock River uh, overflows, so it goes behind Fredericksburg. So Burnside Scout said, General, we not only have to go up open fields, but we also have to get through this canal. Burnside tells his scouts, there is no canal. And three times they said to him, General, we have seen the canal. We walked, we, we rode right past the canal. Ambrose Burnside said, there is no canal because it's not on my map. And now we really begin to see the incompetency of General Burnside's at this point. So with Burnside's delaying for approximately three weeks, General Lee up on Marie's Heights has now entrenched up on Marie's Heights behind a stone wall and he has spread his troops out a great deal for, with Longstreet at one flank, Stonewall Jackson on the other flank. And now he simply has to wait for this Union Army to begin to have frontal assaults having to come through this canal that was there, but Burnside said it wasn't there, as they begin to have to make these frontal assaults up on the Marie's Heights. Each one of these assaults is a major disaster, major disaster. These Union troops are just open. They have no protection. They're fighting now a Confederate army that's entrenched behind a stone wall up on Marie's Heights, generally incorporates almost a, a human Gatling gun up there, having his men just fire down on these Union assaults up on the Marie's Heights. And so assault after assault after assault by the Army of the Potomac up on the Marie's Heights is a major disaster, major disaster. 
you and I would probably think, well, after two, maybe three assaults, we would see that this is not going to work and stop. Well, Ambrose Burnside has 14 frontal assaults onto the sunken road that's protected by this stone wall. Not one, not one federal soldier, Union soldier, reached Longstreet's line at Marie's Heights. Not one. Even at Gettysburg, when we have Pickett's Charge, about 200 Confederate troops got up to the Union line and got over that wall Even at Gettysburg. Here at Fredericksburg, not one Union soldier reached General Longstreet's line up on Marie's Heights. So 14 frontal assaults, which is a major disaster. And we also see Joshua Chamberlain here. Finally, finally, Burnside orders a retreat back into Fredericksburg. Finally, he orders a retreat. And what is sober, so sober about this, is Burnside's incompetence caused the Union Army to lose 12,653 soldiers. An incredible carnage by a very incompetent general, Ambrose Burnside. If Burnside had just simply gone up the Rappahannock River about a quarter of a mile where there was a ford, Burnside would have been able to cross the Rappahannock River and have a flanking maneuver onto General Lee's troops up on Marie's Heights. But he did not do that. He waits. And he waits. So he orders a retreat on December 15th. Finally, Burnside decides that he's going to go up to the fords in the Rappahannock River, cross over and try to flank Lee's army. Well, after three days of severe rainstorms, Burnside begins to have the Army of the Potomac march the nor- north around Fredericksburg and try to and try to have a flanking maneuver. And it was so much rain and so much mud that many of the men were sinking all the way up to their, halfway up their calves in mud. Many of them lost their shoes. So this becomes known as what we know as the Mud March, which is another total disaster. Total disaster. Burnside stops the Mud March. And from that point on, Lee begins to move away from Marie's Heights. And then finally, Ambrose Burnside is relieved of command. After the Mud March, Ambrose Burnside is relieved of command after this major disaster of Fredericksburg under an incompetent commanding general, Ambrose Burnside. President Lincoln now needs to find another commanding general. That's where we see General Joe Hooker becoming a commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac. And General Joe Hooker waits till spring for the next large battle, which would be Chancellorsville and the Wilderness. So Burnside, we begin to we see him. After Fredericksburg, when he relieved of command, we see him in different locations. And ultimately, Burnside then 
reconnects with the Army of the Potomac under George Meade, under the superior command of Ulysses S. Grant. And Grant, or Burnside now, later on in the war, is at Petersburg. And as I said before, this is where he comes up, devises the plan of the Battle of the Crater, which was another major, major debacle for Ambrose Burnside and the Army of the Potomac. So this is what happens when we have incompetent leaders. This is what happens when we have military leadership that is incompetent. Soldiers die. Major problems happen. Armies armies are demoralized. The enemy gets energy to go on at this point. Uh, Burnside goes on after the war to get into politics. Uh, he becomes he had a civilian career working on on the railroads, as so many of these guys were engineering generals. Uh, he has actually becomes the first president of the National Rifle Association, which is interesting. He serves as the governor of Rhode Island for four years, and then in 1874, he's elected as a U.S. senator from Rhode Island. And then Burnside served in Congress till he died in 1881, and he was only 57 when he died. But unfortunately, we see President Lincoln very frustrated, was trying to find a competent general who was going to take on all the Confederate armies. At Fredericksburg, one general, who the only Union general to break through any part of the Confederate line is George Meade. And George Meade is the only Union general that has any of his men break through any of the Confederate lines up on Marie's Heights. And he broke through a part of the line where Stonewall Jackson had his men. And that's important because after Chancellorsville, Soon after Chancellorsville, Joe Hooker, again, he's relieved of command. And then we see the rise of General George Meade to become the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac for the rest of the war. So this is where these all this all plays in. Ironically, only two Union generals did not declare that they were going to ever take Richmond and win the war. One was George Meade. And the other was Ulysses S. Grant. And both of them are the generals that ultimately took Richmond and ultimately Robert E. Lee's army, the Army of Northern Virginia, surrendered in April of 1865. And then the two other Confederate armies out there then surrendered not long after that. So as we, we go through this, this is where now we have looked at Antietam, which was a major disaster. Then we look at Fredericksburg, which is another major disaster. And General Red President Lincoln is getting frustrated that he can't find a competent commanding general, which ultimately he will. So I highly suggest anytime you can get down to Fredericksburg, go down to Fredericksburg, look at the battlefield, go up on the Marie's Heights, stand behind that wall, look down to what is left of the open field, and just envision 
unprotected Union soldiers coming up that hill with no protection and having over 12,000 killed after front, 14 frontal assaults by Ambrose Burnside. So we will continue on in our in future shows with looking at some of the battles of the of the Civil War as we progress through this time period. So thank you for listening. Hopefully uh, this will clear up some of your ideas of Antietam and then Fredericksburg. So this is WFYL 1180 AM. We are working for your liberty. Thank you.